Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content here at Open Banking Expo and I'll be steering the conversation for the next 30 minutes or so. Now, my guest today is Freddie Kelly, Chief Executive of Challenger Credit Reference Agency, Credit Kudos, who joins me to discuss the findings from its latest borrowing index, as well as how the company is shaking up the credit reference space and what he's learned from founding a fintech. Hi, Freddie. Nice to have you with us today. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I've given you a very sort of brief introduction there, so perhaps you can go into a bit more detail and, and tell us more about your role. Yeah, so I am the founder and CEO of Credit Kudos. Um, as you mentioned, we're a uh, open banking player and, and also a credit uh, provider or credit information provider. Um, we started off trying to solve the simple problem of how do you make lending decisions better? So how do you choose who to lend to and, and do so uh, in an inclusive way that makes sure that people aren't overlooked or um, uh, incorrectly uh, accepted. Um, and the way we do that is by sitting at the intersection of uh, being a credit reference agency, and I can talk a little bit more about what that means, but also uh, leveraging open banking and all that that has to offer. Uh, and we use the data that we have on both uh, customers from their open banking, but also from past uh, individuals that we've recorded information from to predict risk. Uh, and we, we provide that service to lenders, currently almost 100 of those uh, in the UK and now also further afield in, in Europe and uh, in the EU. And uh, yeah, as, as you say, um, perhaps you can go into a bit more detail then about what it is sort of Credit Kudos does, um, because you have referred to the company as a as a challenger credit bureau, haven't you? So, so what is it that you do, and what's the kind of technology that powers all of that? Yeah, so legacy credit referencing uh, is quite backward looking. So the the way that um, lending decisions are traditionally made is is based on past data being the primary sort of predictor of, of future outcome. Uh, and whilst that works all right for, for, for most people, um, it's increasingly becoming more and more brittle um, and less accurate. Uh, and also, uh, as, as I sort of alluded to before, it overlooks a lot of people um, for various reasons. Um, and so what we're building is a, a forward-looking model of, of credit risk that uses real-time data through open banking to understand uh, and predict the likely outcomes of customers. And we provide that service uh, B2B. So we, we sell to the companies that lend money and they use our products to enable decision-making. Um, under the hood, uh, in, in kind of simple terms, what we're doing is, is using machine learning to look at the historic open banking data. So the the bank transaction data of a customer uh, alongside that customer's subsequent loan performance. So essentially the data that says, did they pay back their monthly bills? Did they go overdue? Were they late? Um, and by seeing those two sort of pieces of data intersected, we can, we can do some really clever stuff with, with machine learning models, to, machine learning models to, to start to predict for new customers, 
that share that data with us and with our clients, whether they're going to repay. And that helps us open up access to credit because more people can evidence their credit worthy in their financial um, standing. Uh, and also it helps those decisions, uh, helps the, the people making those decisions to do so in a more automated way and a more accurate way. Okay, so you've, you've kind of um, pointed out there the fact that obviously your offering differs quite a bit, doesn't it, from some of the more traditional credit reference agencies. And earlier you used the words kind of inclusive. Um, what does that mean to you and, and how how is it a more inclusive model, if you like? Yeah, so that I guess that, that kind of uh, financial inclusion banner is, I guess, often overused or, or misused. Um, you know, ideally, when you think about inclusive design, the the idea isn't that you're sort of making a product that kind of helps some niche segment that's overlooked. Uh, you know, with a, with a specific problem, you're you're designing a product that works for everyone. That's uh, better off because it it also um, encapsulates the requirements of those people that are overlooked by other sort of uh, mainstream offerings. And so, the way we start to think about this is. Uh, if we can accurately determine the risk of customers that are kind of the most hard to reach, you know, there's always this disparity between those that need credit, finding it harder to access than those that don't need it, making it having a really easy time. And, and that's not necessarily wealth. It's just health. You know, it's the, the measurement of, of how, you know, you can be uh, very, very wealthy and have a poor credit rating and you can have you can have a very low income and have a really good credit rating those two things aren't aren't uh, inextricably linked and so what we're trying to do is help companies determine who those borrowers are who can repay and and can they can be responsibly lent to that are currently overlooked because there isn't sufficient data from traditional credit uh, credit bureaus um, yeah, let's um, bring in actually your the recent findings from from the borrowing index that I mentioned at the top of the podcast, and um, that showed that there'd been a rise in, in young borrowers who were more willing to share their banking data. But you know those findings also pointed to the fact that the under thirty fives are not only among the hardest hit by the pandemic, um, but they all also face being frequently turned down for credit, and that, that was something that's been happening. Before pre-pandemic as well so can you go into a bit more about those those findings for us I mean what was that a surprise to you or, or not at all yeah I mean obviously it, it, it's it's hit everyone in in different ways and, and unfortunately uh, those that were kind of already perhaps excluded are, are now even more so and I think it's something like uh, you know within the under 35 category you're, you're nine times more likely to be turned down for credit um since the beginning of, of the pandemic. So really difficult um, times for, for certain people. And, and it, it, you know, in a way, it's not a surprise if you look at sort of past instances of, you know, financial um, crises or, or downturns. And, you know, generally lenders are obviously more, more bearish and, and, and um, much more conservative around credit risk policy, which sort of just means lending to fewer people. Uh, and particularly until they can kind of see how the impact, you know, in the case of COVID, how that, that sort of changes the market, and then they can slowly kind of re-enter the, the lending space. And, and, you know, that often means that in times of need, you know, people weren't able to, to borrow. Um, 
But what's also quite interesting from what we found is that because of all the um, the economic impacts of, of COVID and also some of the resulting government remedies, uh, there's a lot uh, a lot more uncertainty in the data that was traditionally used to underwrite. And so it's actually driven uh, a far sort of faster uh, rate of adoption in, in, in mainstream lending of alternative data than, than previously was was seen. So um, lenders have really responded to the crisis and have, have tried to take new approaches to um, spotting the customers that, that can be served at, um, sustainably and, and, and being able to lend to those those individuals and actually what's more is that that kind of overlap of customers most willing to share data that, that we sort of found in the the results of the the borrowing index is the same sort of cohort of customers that kind of stand to benefit most from the the change in approach so um it's sort of a in a way a kind of happy accident between those two things yeah and, and i was going to say that the fact that that age group the under 35s are kind of increasingly willing to share that banking data i mean that that's quite a positive isn't it because i i guess there has been some hesitancy hasn't there from consumers to share more data and allow financial firms to access you know all this data about them hasn't there yeah i mean you, you've got to remember we're, we're kind of we're moving um, from a kind of old school version of lending where, you know, it was paper based, it was in branch, you know, it was acceptable that you'd have to wait two weeks to get an answer to a completely online ecosystem. And obviously that's a trend that we've all seen with, with COVID and, and this idea of kind of embedded finance, embedded lending, meaning that credit is sort of, uh, a feature rather than a, a product in a way you know it, it, it sort of starts to become in, in, intertwined in the purchase journey you know we've seen a lot of the, the sort of growth of buy now pay later things like that and therefore the idea that a credit decision is this sort of like snapshot in time that just you know happens once and then you forget about it is is kind of just madness and and so you know and especially when you look at the regulation you know lenders want to kind of continually evaluate the customer and proportionally fit around their requirements and the the way that you do that is to have an ongoing view of the customer and a uh, rather than this sort of snapshotting and, and and most definitely you know customers are more willing to share data now they understand that and you've got to remember that pre-open banking the credit referencing process was still you sharing data quite sensitive data but you were just totally out of the loop on that happening. And it was all kind of implicit in the, you know, the long pages of terms and conditions that you were sort of agreeing to. And, and what we're saying with open banking is actually, look, you are in control of this. You can share your data and this is the benefit that you get. Yeah. So I, I guess there's just more transparency now, isn't there? Right. But, but for consumers, I suppose sometimes it can feel like they're learning about something that they didn't realize was kind of already happening. Yeah, in essence, and obviously, you know, the 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 theme of open banking adoption growing in the background anyway has kind of been a, an enabler. You know, the the sort of serviceable market for open banking is huge, but we're still kind of on the cusp of, of, of wider adoption. You know, it's grown to sort of three million uh, very quickly from two million. And, and you know, uh, we expect, you know, the four and five and six will happen quite a lot faster again. And so, you know, that that kind of underlying drive is also meaning that the places that you're seeing open banking are more and more um, 
sort of there's more of them and and you know indeed the the banks themselves adopting the standards to kind of do aggregation and, and power different use cases has again tr- driven that trust and um it's got a sort of uh, flywheel effect for def- for sure and you know how can the uk ensure that it continues to um, not only kind of implement open banking i mean you mentioned sort of the three million uh, figure there and and the fact that the next four five six million will will come a bit quicker but yeah it's kind of getting that balance between kind of continuing to implement it but um you know innovating as well when it comes to offering consumers new products new services and and so on so how can the uk make sure we get that that balance right yeah i mean fintech is is kind of seen as the the lifeblood of the sort of uk startup and scale up uh sort of sector right and 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 we've had a lot of focus put on how how do we continue to invest in 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 the growth of fintech and and retaining uk as a as a hub um, in europe and and globally um and the the khalifa review um talked to the role the uk has had in developing open banking on a global level um and and kind of the consensus in that report is that, that you know we need to continue and um, lead the charge and and it's a really interesting time right now because open banking is being sort of transferred to its new home from you know a, a CMA uh, run activity in, in terms of implementation phase to to the next level of you know being part of UK finance and the transition group that that will govern that um, and as part of that you know we've got this whole opportunity to to kind of take to the next step and and build the view the vision of open finance and indeed the fca has said in its consultation that it's likely that the next step for creating open finance is sort of expanding the scope of open banking and so that the implementation entity has a a a big role to play in you know how do we add other accounts you know loans savings investments and things like that into the scope of apis and eventually insurance and pensions and all this other stuff um so i I think we're we're at a kind of inflection point where we've we've kind of we went first with open banking and so we we got a lot of the benefit but also we kind of uh, found the problems for a lot of other people so they could you know learn from our mistakes sort of thing and now you know we've got to sort of say that you know we want to continue to be the leader in open finance is the the next step and if you look you know further afield places like Australia with the consumer data initiative and and the way that they've embrace data sharing across a variety of different product types you know that clearly to me at least is the way that we should be going okay so that's interesting we can we can kind of look now to to australia you think then to take those kind of next steps yeah as as an example i mean i think it's interesting how a variety of different approaches have been taken in in different markets and and you know that the way i think about it is that, you know that open banking sort of answered a lot of questions that will be common to all of those sectors and, and don't need to be repeated. You know, how do you consent? How do you authenticate? How do you authorize? You know, how do you scope data sharing? What's the sort of contracts between the customer and the third party entity? All of that, those kind of frameworks um, should be more or less transplantable into other market, other, other verticals that kind of fall under the, the umbrella of open finance. But we kind of need to make sure that the people and the knowledge that was um, accumulated through developing open uh, open banking is is kind of put to best use in in 
replicating it faster into those other other places. And you mentioned the Khalifa review. Uh, just wanted to get perhaps some some thoughts on that from you. Is do you think that went far enough? Um, what what were your kind of initial thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great um, statement of intent. Um, the next step is obviously the delivery, right? Um, but but certainly in terms of the skills gap, funding, um, open finance, open data, smart data, um, the potentially the the rules on listings to, to encourage you know more companies to list in the UK. I think there's a lot of good, um, really good impetus there. Um, and, and yeah, definitely if we can deliver on that vision, then I think we'll be in a, a fantastic position. And so let's come on to talk about Credit Kudos then and and uh, find out, you know, what are your plans for growth there? Yeah, so, so I mean, we, we've grown phenomenally, um, even despite aforementioned, you know, uh, COVID uh, issues and, and, and challenges for the market. You know, we, we, we grew fivefold in the last 12 months um, and, and we've seen a real uptake in the, the types of businesses that, that use our product. You know, we, we're servicing kind of both high, sort of high growth fintech companies as well as more traditional FS players. I think you know, 15 or 16 sort of publicly listed companies using our products to, to make lending decisions, which is which is really exciting. Um, we're investing heavily in, in R&D and, and sort of growing the team there. You know, we see, and we always say this to our customers, you know, open banking isn't finished. Um, and that means sort of two things, you know, it's the engagement from a regulatory perspective in, in understanding, you know, the direction of travel, the, the, the pieces we just mentioned around open finance and what's possible or what's going to be possible in the future. But then also from a use case perspective, you know, a lot of companies are still, you know, sort of finding their feet and understanding all the different places that this data can be valuable for them in, in terms of the products that they offer now and also what they could build next, which is which is really cool. You know, we've we've sort of had this like I think incorrect attitude where everyone sort of expects everyone to be talking about open banking as this huge success. And it's kind of it's the um it's the solution, not not the product in a way. You know, it's the the underlying technology that will power some really cool sort of new breed products. And you know, we're we're still kind of quite early in in seeing those things realized. You know, lending is multifaceted in that if you look at the sort of the jobs to be done for a lender right through from kind of finding that customer acquisition through to origination to verification to you know dispersing funds through to uh you know collecting payments uh engaging with their customer you know changing limits dynamic product selection risk after life of sales all that sort of stuff you know there are so many points on that journey that you can apply open banking and, you know, we're really focused on on how we provide all of those products that, that our customers are going to require. So that's, you know, that's that's our kind of um, our one and only focus is, is how do you use this stuff to to make better lending uh, products, basically. And I know that um, Credit Kudos recently um, formed a partnership uh, or rather chosen by Curve, I should say, as its open banking partner. But, you know, you've, you've announced a number of strategic partnerships recently as well. So I was just wondering why are partnerships kind of so important? Uh, what, what can either side get out of those, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, it sort of comes back to my previous answer in a way. It's like, you know, we've always been very clear on kind of just doing one thing and doing it really well. And therefore, the other bits, you know, we, we want to work with other people to do and, and sort of fit in 
to to their um you know their existing sort of ecosystem of partners and, and you know that's that's the way kind of banking and financial services is going generally from you know mainframe mainframe sort of monolithic uh back ends to you know plug and play banking as a service products where you can fit in you know best of breed in, in all the different categories of solution you need um so so partnerships are heavily important and we've you know worked directly with customers and we've also worked in cases of businesses like Curve, through a number of, of other strategic partners to deliver a product that's truly unique. Um, so, so most definitely, you know, we're, we're keen to continue that that process. And also, from a delivery perspective, you know, we we want to make it as as easy as possible for people to use our product. And so, if we are integrated or uh, connected to the solutions that they already use, then that's you know, that's lowering the barrier to entry as far as we're concerned. So we, we, we've spent a lot of time developing a network, you know, 15, 20 or so different partners that you can use our software through, you know, almost plug and play, which is which is great. Do you have any kind of tips, I guess, for, for anyone looking to kind of form a partnership? I mean, what, what do you look for in partnerships that perhaps might, might be helpful if other firms are kind of looking to partner strategically in, in a similar way, really? Yeah, I think the the danger with with sort of partnering for the sake of partnering is is probably the biggest one to avoid. You know, you see this a lot where it's sort of a solution looking for a problem, um, and and so all of our our partnerships have been driven by a, a client um, needing a solution to a problem, and and therefore you know the the answers to your questions when you kind of build out your partnership structure, be it the commercial or the technical are kind of there for you because you've got someone that's paying the bills saying this is what I want and why. Um, so that's certainly been really important. Um, and then obviously, you know, it, it sounds a bit kind of um, fluffy, but uh, the kind of the cultural alignment and uh, so I shouldn't say it's fluffy, but you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's hard to quantify what that means sometimes, but the, you know, the, the, the general kind of mission and culture alignment around what you're doing, you know, why are you actually, in existence and what's the, the the end game of what you're doing is, is really important. You know, the the fixing an immediate problem is great, but if you've got future opportunity, then it, it can kind of sort of go further to justify the, the investment in partnering and, and, you know, how else you might sort of take your combined solution to market. So that sort of cultural alignment then shouldn't be overlooked or kind of underestimated then? No, definitely not. I think it's really important. You know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you, get, you can tell with the people you're working with whether stuff's going to work because you, you know you, you get even even over Zoom, you, you you can you can kind of get a, a sense of you know shared objectives or not, and and that's very telling. And you know, I always it's it's so important in in the startup land anyway to sort of trust your gut. But if you're you know if you're serious about a partnership, you can't kind of do it as a throwaway, right? You need to be invested in the long term you know, you, you, you have your roadmap, your business plan, they have theirs. How do those two things overlap to kind of create something that's greater than some of its parts, right? That's the question you're, you're trying to answer. And uh, I wanted to kind of pick your brains, I guess, as, as a fintech entrepreneur, you've obviously started up um, Credit Kudos a while ago now and you've, and you've grown the business. So are there any kind of lessons that you've learned that you'd want to pass on to anyone else who was considering going down a similar route or had similar ambitions, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult because like some of the things that I would have heard 
five or six years ago I probably would have just not listened to and now I'm like saying again and I can just imagine myself not listening to them as well but you know I, I think building a startup is kind of like a lot of perseverance it's not just you know the idea and the opportunity it's it's just about sticking at it and things you know the the growth curve very looks very rarely looks like that it kind of looks like that and then that right and and you you don't know how far along you're you're on the sort of the flat bit to know whether to keep going and that's that can be very difficult um i, I think the other thing is like you know you, you you sort of people say this all the time i don't know what the who's quoted is but you know you kind of overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in 10 years i think you know that that saying and, it, and it's so true um and you you do have to kind of see it as a as a longer term plan and and you know have your milestones of, of what you're trying to achieve that gets you to that plan and and you know, diligently stick to that and try not to be distracted by shiny objects and just kind of, you know, focus on, on, on the one thing that you want to get right. Um, and, and, and not sort of, not to sound kind of naive, but you, you also sort of just like the, the, uh, the difference that you can offer as a kind of business that's doing things in a disruptive way is, is often so easy to overestimate. You can like sort of take simple problems and just sort of assume that they've been solved by the market and then realize that they've not, and there's no good reason that they haven't. And, you know, having that kind of fresh perspective is actually a good thing. And you sort of do need to kind of challenge the the status quo and just say, you know, like this, you know, why is it that we all um, accept that we, post our bank you know, scanning our bank statements to get a mortgage application done when you know you could do that in 30 seconds with open banking why is it that you know me being on the electoral roll has a bearing on my ability to borrow money even though there's like takes five minutes to sign up and has nothing to do with you know anything to do with lending you know the, just certain things that that um you know just exist because that's the way they've always been but there's no reason for them to stay that way well, I would say that's quite a few um, lessons, valuable lessons there that you've, you've passed on to, as I say, anyone who has similar ambitions as you do. But thank you very much, Freddie, for your time today. And we look forward to hearing more about Credit Kudos and, and what you're up to next. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we've got plenty of other podcasts already live on the website if you go to the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. But that's all we have time for this week. So bye for now.